maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. to Burning Man for the first time in 2016 and I, uh, on the playa when I was there, I had a reawakening of something within me that had gone dormant or gone to sleep and it was the essence of living like a life of our choice because that's what Burning Man is about. It's about the blank slate that is this desert that you create upon and in that creation you have infinite pathways of exploration and the container which which is held by everyone for everyone is lined by these 10 principles which are things like radical inclusion uh, radical self-reliance non-commercial exchange just all of these incredible governance tenants Um, and so in the structure of that container when i could express myself fully and, and not have to show up. Fenestra? Yes. It's Torino. We're going the wrong way. And not have to show up in um, a certain way. So bad, yeah. Then all of a sudden I was, um, it was like, it was so clear. And I have this one video, actually, I have it with me. I, I never posted it on social media, but it was me crying and being like, wow, I remember that this world exists. And, um, when that spark came back alive inside of me, which was really a spark about creating the world that you want to live in rather than than being in it like I knew from when I first met you six years ago that I didn't want to live in Bali and even at that time when I was leaving after my master's thesis research I got tons of job offers that I said no to because I didn't want to be living there and then when I got the yoga bar and job offer there I said yes because it was such a big opportunity at such a young age and so I couldn't pass it down and so already I had compromised my truth. So like that's the initial seed of uh, disillusion or the seed of um, hindrance or the seed of disease really is from the moment that we compromise our truth. And I like in, in what you said to me yesterday about the hospital, like I, I obviously being a doctor having non-doctory <laughs> ideas, you know, it's, it's this essence of, of compromise of truth. And um, so what do we do with that? I mean, the, the process of leaving then, when I came back from Burning Man, I knew that would be my last year. And it was, my, it was the beginning of my fourth year. And it was a quote-unquote five-year plan. And so it was earlier than whatever structure in my head had decided that this was how my life was going to be. And... Um, I I said, okay, like I can accept that structure changing and 
I was doing all the planning of like when my visa expired and it would have been nine more months. And yet when I got back, I had already been so disenchanted, so disenfranchised really by the corporate structure and the, the powers that be behind the scenes at that yoga factory that I, you know, I wasn't valued and that was making me not value myself and it became a form of masochism to stay there where it was self-harm in a place where it's not resonant. And so even though I was doing good work and that was powerful, it, it was draining at a certain point because I was constantly having to fight the man while trying to do what I wanted to do. And so um, at a moment I stepped back from that battle and um, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's any more of things now. And um and when I stepped back from from like constantly having to show up, like there was a lot going on for me that, that fall of 2016. I remember having a conversation with myself about what am I gonna wear today? What am I gonna dress? Am I gonna dress like how I want the how I think the audience wants me to show up? Or am I, am I going to dress truly as I want to be? And it's like something as simple as that, these little shifts of freeing ourselves from the entanglement of society and expectations of other people. And so all of this was happening at the, at the same time that um, then once I had, you know, gone the nine month plan and then I was like, wait, but I don't want to be here for high season. Like what's two months I cut off, I can leave earlier. Okay, it's a six month plan. And I was negotiating with myself how long I was going to continue to suffer. And then my friend Cyrus said to me, he said, Andy, if these were the last three months of your life, what would you want to be doing right now? And it just like everything dropped. And it was the last day of our life. What do you want to do? Exactly. It was this clarity that I was just like, oh, you know, the whole world came crumbling down. I'm thinking of the Thunderbolt card from the Osho deck of like throw it all out the window, you know? It's like, that is Uranus as well. That is the Uranian radical shift and change on a, and super abrupt. And uh, I was like, okay, that's all I needed. And I knew then my exit date, I knew everything. I knew, I, like I could start acting then once I just made the decision. And so it took that, I would say, reawakening experience of having been a Burning Man and I call myself a Burning Man victim because there's lots of people who go to Burning Man and go home and quit their job you know and so that was yeah that was because you're seeing a truth that's beyond the truth that you're living and on the Sagittarian quest that's all I care about the quest for truth and so with that it's like there was that reawakening experience that, that gave such a truth that let you no longer compromise that which we are compromising at all times in our life and then the relief after that is huge and it wasn't an easy process I mean I I didn't I mean I didn't sell things but I gave everything away I got rid of one of my houses I gave away my dog I wrapped up my whole life and I left in a month and a half wasn't it really empowering yeah I mean for sure I, there was a lot of angst like when I told the company that I was working for that I was leaving they put an iron wall down and were pretty harsh about it and really mad and like threatened not to pay me and all these things that it was I think I was wrapped up in the trauma of that 
that I could that I wasn't fully able to embrace the empoweringness. But the reason that I did it the way I did it was because my 2017 was the year of if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. That was my theme for the year. That's nice. If it's not yeah, it resonates to me. Like if it's not a fuck yes, yeah, it, a no. if it's not radically resonant. If it's not a 100% yes and vibrating and like, if it's not dharmic, we could say, you know, if it's not clear that this is what you're supposed to be doing, then no, because what that does is it carves out compromise and it allows you to be without compromising. And so, you know what I need to say? I love it. Tell me shit or get off the pot. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, that's super. We say that all the time in the United States. Um, it's, it's. It's, and that's what I said, was that my year of 2017 was fierce recalibration. Those were the words I used to, I mean, you can imagine something calibrating and then recalibrating, getting back to Dharma, to the life path, and, um, and why we're here. And so I would say that my theme for this year, then picking up from there, is what are we really doing here? What are we really doing here? Because we can go through the motions and we can do our little... We can help in our little ways while playing someone else's game, but it's we're here to play our own game. And that goes back to being the creator. So it was a matter of making a decision. And I and, and that way I would say is parallel to the decision of when I decided to leave my ex-partner. That was 2015. Right? So that was just a few months before I saw you last. Of um, I was really, really miserable for the last year and a half of that relationship miserable not in an outward way but in a way where I was closing down a lot of myself uh, to be able to be in the relationship I wasn't allowing my the full expression of who I am to be free and that's no one's fault but mine and it was it came only from fear because I was too scared to hurt him I was too scared to disrupt and so it took me 10 seconds of courage to look at him and say it's over it's really over that freed me from that masochism misery i mean that was all my own doing you know and so it's these uranian kinds of experiences of, of um, just radical changes and shifts that allow us to go on a new path it's like not all freeways merge nicely where you're going to get on the next one. Some of them you have to go on a huge roundabout to get to the next freeway that you're going to be on. Does that answer you? Yes. that we had to do which was um, last year when it was if it's not a fuck yes it's a no I stopped working quote unquote for the man or the corporate or the institution and I, I became an entrepreneur and everything was about entrepreneurship and I was super excited about that quality of self empowerment that people can have whether they're an Uber driver or a coach 
you know, where they're doing entrepreneurial things. They are their own boss. There's a tremendous amount of self-governance that's there. And that's what I love perhaps more than anything. And um, so as I yielded into that, I found that in my uh, line of work, which is all things health, yoga, consciousness, that the way in which entrepreneurs show up in that place often is uh, through driving traffic towards their ideas and the way to do that is social media. And so I dumped and I dumped and I dumped and I, I gave so much last year. Um, I did these Facebook lives every few days. I was like, you know, posting all the time and I was holding retreats still and I was doing what I was doing at the yoga bar and more just on my own. Like I taught three yoga teacher trainings last year. That was three months out of 12, you know? That's a lot. And the nature of my work is that it's relentlessly giving. It's giving, 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 all I have and more. And um, in a different way than let's say medical, because my, my job is always medical meets hospitality. And medical is, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, listen to what I say and do this. Hospitality is, you're the client, how can I help you? You're right, tell me what to do, how can I help? And so at the cross section there, you know, it's this awkward in between where the authority structures aren't clear and the only healing part is compassion. And so in that, it's tons of giving and tons of presence. And to make it work on my own, I mean, I think a part of it was I wanted to prove to myself that I can do it on my own and I can do it without the yoga brand and I don't need them. And I did, you know, do it on your own, make more money, do it better, all of that. I did that. And I worked just as much as I was working there for sure. Um, and yet there came a time mid year where I was like, Whoa, this is, I'm exhausted after this. This is not resonant. This is not what I want to be doing. And, um, I mean, it was around the time like Wonder Woman came out, and so Venus and Aries, I see that movie, and it's this, again, that awakening, that same quality of awakening of, like, misses, of them, like, going back into Maya, and at that time, I still had a lot of things planned that I had to go through for the rest of the year, and it was back-to-back festival, retreat, uh, yoga teacher training, festival. Like, I, in 40 days, I would have two days off and just be teaching and giving. And, like, I loved it. And it was all in flow state. And it's not like it was stressful. It was just exhausting in, in how much I was giving because there was no space for me. And so, I mean, we have the selfless kind of Virgo Piscean idea of, like, the quasi-spiritual, oh, give your life away, like, in service and all of that. And that's just, it's not who I am. Right? Even though I have Virgo Pisces as my south north node axis, it's not like that's not the way in which I'm supposed to work. And so by the time November 5th came up, which was the end of everything that I had planned in my year of if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. And there were definitely times in that year where it was important for me to learn it's a fuck no. <laughs> this is not only a fuck yes, but it's a no. And what do I do with that? Because I'm in this situation. Right? Do I leave? Do I fly out of the country? You know, and so like calibrating on that was also a really important lesson and territory to, to, to work on. And then when the end of the year came, I um, I didn't I didn't have anything planned until March when I was speaking at the International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh. And so I had these three months of open. And 
there's this big recognition of, oh my God, I haven't had this ever in my life. Like when you're little, your parents plan things and then you have school and then you have summer camp and then you have school and then Isn't that amazing? Isn't university, that amazing? right? And you're just on the tread, on the little rat roundabout treadmill and it's one foot in front of the other and you keep going and all and of a sudden you realize that you have to put yourself in that treadmill again, 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 again. Yeah. Because you don't know that there's anything else to do. You don't know there's another option. And so when I had that space and that time, and one of my friends who is an elder and who is a beautiful being, who you would actually get along with a lot, Lux, he said to me um, at the end of 2016, when he saw my calendar for 2017, he said, so Andy, you haven't left any time. And I was like, my mind was, no, but I got to make money and I got to do this. If I'm becoming an entrepreneur, I got to keep my following as they are. And I have to keep up the speed of the race or else. Right. And, but I'm, I'm going to do it my way. Okay. And then November 5th, when I was flying out of Kuala Lumpur on the airplane again, I watched Wonder Woman for the second time. And that time it almost hit me harder because I had less strings holding me back. And I was like, oh, fuck, okay. Time to go to everything that I always wanted to do. <laughs> and the thing for me, again, with Venus and Aries, more than anything, was to find a master and to be trained, to physically train, to become that warrior embodied. And um, this was around the time that I last talked to you, like right around the time of your accident. I was in yeah. a really super intense underworld process of discovery where um, I was silent for a week after watching the movie. I had placards that I'd written that said uh, Mission Mantra Maya. And it was the refocusing completely around um, realigning Mission Mantra Maya. Like, don't be distracted, especially in the world of social media. Like, there's so many distractions. And that was a huge thing last year that, um, that changed things too, was uh, turning off my notifications on my phone. Like, it sounds simple, but that's a huge process, and it's a big neurological reshifting for anyone in the modern day who has notifications constantly popping up, messing with your dopamine levels at all times. And so, just like these little steps that have happened, uh, or that I've taken on the path, that then, when I landed back into Bali, it was so super intense. You landed where? Back into Bali, where because I, I had a house there, so I flew it's from Bali. Ah, in Bali. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I stayed at home all day. I was completely antisocial. I was fasting. I was like doing deep restructuring work of like seeing what it is I want with my life, and and what came out was okay. Like I'm going off grid. Like I've I've poured myself out to these people that has created this dependency relationship and I need to cut that because I need to find out who I am independent of who they want me to be right? or who I think they want me to be it's like reverse inverse projection somehow and and it wasn't so much a process of self-discovery as it was like 
just radical personal empowerment. And I've always been into survival things and extreme things. And so I was searching for some Tai Chi master. I mean, I didn't really want to go Chinese martial arts because I knew it would take longer. But Krav Maga was the end point of the martial artists that I wanted to study. And so um, then I looked, I, I had astrocartography and I looked at my astrocartography and pointed me directly to South Africa. And uh, I had a super dear friend there who I passed the idea to and he was immediately like, when can I be at the airport? And had a place to stay and then later had a house for me to house sit alone. And it was just like, it all fell into place more ideal than I could describe. And so I went to the end of the diving board and I jumped. And so last year when I was off grid for three months, um, very few people knew where I was. And I was in South Africa, I was silent and I was training for the triathlon. And it was through that training that I realized that the master that I was looking for outside of me, and this is like an echo to your beginner's mind commentary, that that master that I was looking for outside of me, what I was really looking for was to more deeply awaken the master inside of me. And so as I was standing there on the edge of the dam every time before I would go train for swimming, about to dive into this cold water and there was all that natural human resistance of I don't want to go to a place of discomfort, right? The voice would come that is like, Andy, fucking go. Don't think go now. Just like a master would treat you. Can you awaken that voice inside of, of ourselves where we become our own master? And that is all of the work I do. It, it's the guru within, right? It's, it's so it was a big transformation. Like if I want to study subjects, if I want to learn Krav Maga, okay, great. I can go to someone, but to, to take them on as a master or a guru or something else is inherently disempowering that relationship, the doctor-patient relationship, all of them, that quality of disenfranchisement is disempowering. And so it was a big awakening of like, oh, aha, okay, I get it. The master I was looking for is inside. And I just get, I need to give myself the time and space to allow it to awaken and that's what I did and it's the parallel with fasting the best doctor you ever want is already inside your body knows exactly what to heal how and when and where you just have to give it the time and space to do so through the process of fasting and, and cellular self-reparation and autophagy and so where am I now? Like coming out of that experience was definitely difficult, as it always is. Coming out of any kind of underworld process and coming out of a fast, anything like that. So I came out and I tried to live in Cape Town. I mean, I started talking again. That was okay for about a week. It was really rough and awkward, and I was like, okay, we there's no need to speak. The moment we speak, it's Maya. The moment we speak, it's duality. And yet, of course, the social norm of this world is to speak, so that's fine. And I still take silent days, like in the mountains uh, in Switzerland now, I just took four days of silence. And it was nice to dip back into that for a slightly extended time period. Um, and that's where the most truth is, because that's where the most presence is. Because we use words to escape presence. And the, the, like the short example that I give for that is at the cashier, when I was in silence, and I would still go to stores and buy things, I would... Um, not be able to say thank you to the people checking me out so I'd have to be really right there give them prayer hands and bow and like look them in the eye and like touch my heart and, and pass on the compassion or the gratitude in another way right? and um, 
I mean, it was a huge human experiment, nonetheless, because then people are like, oh, look, like pretty, especially in South Africa, pretty white girls mute. Oh, that's sad, you know? And it's like so interesting to be on that end of the, on that, that receiving end. People go into. Yeah, and that's just my interpretation. Who knows? A lot of people thought I was mute. So I think that it's a somewhat educated projection, but um, it's a very different reaction than I normally get from people. So it was a glorious human experiment to have. But now I even see myself, if I'm at the checkout cashier, you know, I might just take my bags, walk away, look the other way and say thank you over my shoulder where there's no presence. And that's just the reality of modern life. And when I moved back into the city, because the idea was to be in Cape Town uh, for the last part of my time there, I was like, whoa, who are all these other people in my space after living? I'd never properly lived in the countryside. And so that's a question for everyone is like, have you actually spent time? It doesn't have to be all the way off grid, but like far out where there's no one and you get the solace and the space for you for an extended period of time. I'm talking probably a month or more at once because it was such a birthright experience, I would say, in that respect of when I got back into the city, my phrase that came was unsolicited intermingling. I feel like everyone's here. Like, why are we doing this? Like, we don't have any intention together. And then I was like, oh, wait. And the thread that came out was people live in the city because they have to work. Exactly. And then I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to work. Why am I in the city? Exactly. And of course, there are all these beautiful symptoms of cultural things and Renaissance uh, collaborations, we could say. And though still the nurturing of this earth is not at all, obviously, in the city for health or anything else. And so. I left Cape Town and went to travel over Africa and that was an exploratory process that brought me back to the like incessant global nomadism which has been up to today. I mean I've been to like 30 countries this year and that, um, that quality of dipping in and out has afforded me so much clarity especially going to new countries like Korea or spending extended time in Japan or Sweden and Finland or Greece and just like getting Egypt. to Egypt. Egypt, yeah, getting to 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 dip into someone's and reality. Also, the energy field and then letting you influenced by it and then coming out into the game. Yeah, I don't know if I'm even if I even allow like myself to be influenced by the energy field and I know that astrophotography will govern each of our energy fields as we interpret a place differently. It, what I'm really interested in is the psychology of the people there. Like yeah, where are they? Your energy gets your energy field gets influenced by the energy. Totally, field. yeah, it's all encompassing. Thank you. You can't you can't separate from that. Right. You are enriching your sphere, let's call it this way, by by tapping into it. And it's also beauty because process but it's it's more connected I feel like nobody's could be a sort of uh, meditation in uh, in motion because your in meditation you can accept the impermanence of reality and you can realize each moment its uniqueness unicity so it's it's not going back to an old partner is just to be open what is 
And uh, when you travel in some unknown places, it's like you really open all the doors. You don't have so much conditioning about that. Yeah. So you, you have less prejudice. And uh, this is, and at the same time, it's interesting because you see the people, you are like a little bit Alice in the Wonderland, mm -hmm. and uh, you are intrigued by the people. And uh, because everything is so new, mm -hmm. and you are so at, at their availability to be understood without uh, some old pattern that the people interconnect among each other, they have among each other. So they, for them, it's hard to go out. So I think what uh, you were saying about nomadism, uh, it's really an interesting way to cleanse the mind from prejudice. For sure. 1000%. Yes, 100%. And, and that's like. And, and we, our evolution was associated to some genes specifically designed to adjust to new environment. Mm -hmm. This is how humanity expands. Resilience. Yeah. And, and adjustment, adaptability. And adaptation. adaptation, resilience, yeah. For sure. But you, you were doing this already before, but the amount was different, yes. so you changed the percentage of that. And also changed my interest, I mean, like yeah, I was nomadic eight years before living in Bali, for three and a half, four or five years, um, and so going back to that, I didn't want to, like last summer I tried to move to Amsterdam, Yeah. and then it was just like it couldn't hold me, you know, it wasn't enough, the society didn't feed me enough, and it was too cold, and the same reasons I went for the the bureaucracy and the organization after so many years in Asia ended up like kicking me in the bum anyway on the way, you know? So it's, it just, it wasn't what I was looking for. And so I was kind of like catapulted back onto this path of global nomadism that no place could hold me, that kind of thing. Um, because the act of constantly putting myself in increasingly challenging or difficult or different unfamiliar unknown situations is what stretched me so much to be able to have the interdisciplinary or the the whatever it is that i'm not, I'm not claiming to have but like that's how it i've grown so fast in so few years because i've constantly put myself in uncomfortable situations so it's just a continuation of that um and then to finish the story it's all a story of where I am now is uh, when I was training for the triathlon in South Africa in silence, I was listening to so many podcasts and enough of them were futurist podcasts, which is the Aquarian nature of uh, where are we going? You know, what is it 10 years from now? And um, it reawakened, again, this reawakening that future is part of me that is fully about uh, governance and, and post-capitalistic society and looking at uh, how we can restructure ourselves to truly be beneficial for all. And so, um, and also like being ahead of the curve, not, not being in the rat race where you're just constantly not going anywhere but running really fast, right? but rather steering the ship. And so what came across, obviously, the Futurist podcasts endlessly was AI, artificial intelligence. And so at that point, 
there was just like a click aha moment sometime before I came out of silence in mid-December where I was like, oh, yes, of course, this is it. I want to build an AI to offload my health practice onto. I want to make myself obsolete because I want to leave my career. It became really clear that I wanted to leave, you want to leave my career because all of this giving and all of this, like, you know, it only happened because people wanted me to and because I was good at it, okay? But it didn't necessarily feed me or my greater life calling. Like, I really want to be able to be in that space of the visionary where I'm thinking about complex problems, engaging with the complexity and finding the solution in them way beyond the body and the health and even consciousness, you know? Like, revolutionary, true revolutionary kinds of things. And I don't want to be bridled by health and yoga. And so it became really clear that I wanted to leave my career and definitely wanted to at least stop working in the way in which I was working. And so the AI became this ability. It became a doorway or a gateway out. And the other thing that developed during that time as well was um, the creation of the Institute, the Institute for Aliveness, right? which will launch this year to do my first health coach certification program or whatever it is going to be called in the end to train people to do what I do to, to essentially replace me and to keep the good work happening. Because when I say to many of, of clients and friends and followers for years now that I'm leaving my career, you know, all of their jaw drops because it's either why, like you're so amazing, it's only getting bigger, you're so good at it, people are so life changed by the work you do, like well, how could you do this, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's also the wave of like, wow, that's really fucking courageous. And, and for me, it's just truth. It's true. I can't, again, compromise anymore, even though this is something so amazing and like the world needs it. And, and I do it to a way where people are incredibly happy with it, blown away. Like, it's just not in the end of the day, 1000% serving me. And that's what I need is, is to be where I am most alive. And so in leaving that, you know, it's like there are still places where my career will hold on to me. Like that interview this morning, doing a summit interview. You know, that's stuff I used to do all the time in my old career. And I think this was maybe the second or the third only since I came back out of silence, whereas there would have been more before. Um, like I, I won't really hold in-person retreats anymore unless there are more than 100 people and like there's a greater impact or effect because it's so much work and not saying that I'm lazy or I don't want to do the work, but like I want there to be equal ripples for all parts for how much I'm giving. And then um, like yoga teacher trainings, I don't really plan to teach 200 hour trainings anymore. I still have the launch of my 500 hour yoga teacher training school, which will now be exclusively online because the other thing that happened last year was when I started leading fasting retreats online, which was unexpected and I never thought it would work in a million years that because the, the intimacy that I weave in with my clients on a fasting retreat is so strongly supported by physical presence. And yet I found when I was leading these fasting retreats online that the people doing fasting in Sweden or in Brazil or in Australia on their own had 
deeper, more lasting effects than the people who were fasting with me in Sri Lanka or Bali or wherever it was. Why? Because they had to do it in their own environment where it's more yeah. challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And moreover, yeah. because yeah. I, I required of them like a level of accountability that the people who were on my retreats, you know, they're paying a lot of money to be here. I'm taking care of them. We're back to that conversation of the cross section between medical and hospitality. Whereas the people in their own homes, you know, they're roughing it. They're paying a third of the price and, you know, they have to take care of themselves. I, I can't mommy them because I'm not there. So it, it birthed so much more radical self-reliance, which I only celebrated. And it also then gave me the freedom to live my life. And when I want, I pick up my phone and I say, hi, whatever to the group. And, you know, it. I, I didn't have to be there 24-7 as I was before. And so, uh, and the other part about it was the self-reflection. My, my, my entire work in consciousness is to induce self-reflection. And so literally holding the camera in front of you and recording a video for your check-in on day four of your fast to describe how you are and what you're processing, both physiologically and emotionally, you're forced <laughs> to do self-reflection because you're literally doing that. And so that brought up such a huge richness and accountability that people could then go back and watch their own videos, you know, and, and then creating that conditional or unconditional container of the community is, is what I really like excel at doing. And, and that really worked online where the community aspect of it still held strong. And so there were all these little perfect pieces where I was amazed that this work worked online. And then it was like one retreat. I had two retreats in Amsterdam last summer where uh, I, I did them simultaneous. I did a group in Amsterdam in my apartment at the same time, and my apartment was the studio, as a group online. And I had an amazing assistant who's now my uh, co-founder in business in launching the online portal. And what we found was that we had actually a closer connection sometimes with the people online than we did the people in person. Because the people online were putting more into it. You know, skin in the game is the business term. Where it's like they're, they're willing to do it more. And so we're meeting halfway rather than having to pour out all that I am to reach the client. And so, it just transformed my work entirely. So it was an instant decision to have the 500 hour yoga teacher trainings, which I had planned to be retreat based all around the world. No, it's going to be online. And it, it, it so, the, so like big shift in so many things. And, um, so deciding to leave my career, quote unquote, there are some things that I just can't leave. Like I was approached by this publishing company to, um, or publisher matchmaking company to write this book and you know at that point then I'm like okay that's interesting like many people have asked me to write a book sure but I've never really listened I have three books halfway written but like nothing I'm really good at starting things but not good at finishing things and if these people can hold some kind of that's Venus and Aries can hold some kind of accountability then and they're coming Venus to me <laughs> then you know it's like sure okay okay so i'm being asked to come back to certain parts of my career and even this morning when that woman on the interview said to me at the end thank you for putting out your work when she saw my tedx talk and that's how she knew about me 
she's like, if you hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had this conversation. And so to me, then that's like a whole reverse commentary on social media of like, oh, I tried to run so fast from this. And yet this is, this is healing. This is helping. And so that was when I did that live just now in your bathroom on Instagram, that was like my figuring that back in it's like I'm trying I'm still recalibrating where it fits in my life where social media fits in my life how much I should get how much I should because I'm a really private person and I love having intimate experiences where no one knows but me you know so it's it's like it's to navigate this in truth is it's a bit like hopscotch and um I mean in February when I landed back in India I had a complete heartbreak reckoning experience with the modern yoga world of um, seeing at the International Yoga Festival all of these like true beautiful teachers selling themselves out. And that was what I walked away from when I went into silence because I knew that a lot, like there was a boundary that I was pushing on social media where I was giving so much and showing so much of myself to the world to the point where it was uncomfortable. And also it's like, where is it then a sellout? Because the thing about entrepreneurialism was that the thing that I was selling was me because I was the brand. And so like there was so much in that that was uncomfortable. And um, eventually I got to... Yeah, I, the part that I forgot was stepping away from my Ashtanga practice. Because as I was training for the triathlon, um, it was like the first, last week of November, I, I realized as I was running that I could not simultaneously have an intermediate series Ashtanga practice and be a runner. And I mean, I'm sure there are people who do it and I'd love to talk to them. But for me to put my legs behind my head like that, daily numerous times and then go running I can't have my IT band be loose and tight at the same time and so I stepped away from my practice and that was huge like that was one of the biggest I would say personal revolutions was for 15 years 16 years now I think my asana practice has been so deeply interwoven into my life and such a tenant of truth and who I am and all of it and, and, and unweaving that, I just saw like how much had fettered in to my ego and how much ego was in the practice and vice versa. And it was like, wow, okay, that's big. And like then navigating the world without that daily fascial release. How do I feel every day compared to when I, like nothing compares to how you feel when you're in the practice. That's obvious. That's clear to any, any Ashtangi. And yet it's like, what is, what is after that? And so, yeah, that's been, that's been a big, big truth. And I mean, I still practice asana, but not in the same way where it's structured practice on the mat, because for me, as well as for you, like yoga is not asana. And so one of my campaigns, my little phrases that I've been using this year is calling myself an ex-yogi. Because frankly, I don't want to be associated and I don't want, like, the heartbreak of, of sellout is parallel to the observation of the tremendous amount of spiritual materialism which has surfaced in the yoga world today, which I cannot and will not be a part of. And so it's like, where am I? So it's just like, 
whoa, okay, maybe I'm just going to steer away from that for a while. And so whereas at the beginning of 2017, I had this big steering away as well from all things uh, hippie, permaculture, like that kind of grassroots scene that I've been in for the, the decade before that, I was like, okay, like, cool, these people have beautiful ideas, but and a lot of them are still in their human trauma, as we all are, and struggle. And they want to change the world, and they have ideas that will change the world, but going off, like, just farming for the rest of your life might not change the world. We need disruptive things, and we need to engage with technology, because it's coming whether we want it or not. It's already here. And so then at the beginning of last year, I was like, no, you know what? I want people who are activators, who are doing things and disrupting. And so as I came into the entrepreneur sphere I was like I want to hang out with the Millennials which I never did my friends were always older right and so I was like okay you know what I want to surround myself with the Millennials and the people who are actually doing stuff because there's an openness there and they're actually willing to look at consciousness in a different way and so everything became about Millennials and entrepreneurialism last year and then even at the end of last year I had another recalibration or shift as I was getting more and more involved with the decentralization movement and this is what happened for me last year at Burning Man. Two years ago was the reawakening and then last year I spent uh, almost my entire week in this place called Camp Decentral which was all of these decentralization people and you can look at cryptocurrencies which are of course Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of the others but they're running on a system of something called blockchain. And it's a technology where there is no central authority verifying anything. It is a way in which uh, we can all know what's true and have that truth be constantly verified by all of us at the same time. So it's a way that is transparent and you cannot lie. And there's a ledger or a trail left behind so you can see the history of anything. And it's just like such a powerful solution for the corruption of man. And it's such an empowering platform on which we can build how the is future. It, how is it for the communities that are using it? Have you, have There's so many applications of blockchain. I mean, like, it's infinite. It's infinite. Yeah, and I've heard a little bit of it, but I'm still, I don't have like examples. Of exactly, because like it's day to day. Can I get some more watermelon? Sorry. Is that the point? In the back, there's one. Watermelon. There's such, it's such a new I technology. What he wants. El, uh, I got it. I got it. There's, it's such a new technology that the, the applications of it are um, beyond and, and they're happening and like, I mean, anything from environmental stewardship, like solar uh, solar grids that run off of blockchain, right, rather than a privatized company owning it and dictating it, to one of my favorite applications that I just learned, um, I have a friend who's doing blockchain all over China, is they're verifying Chinese medicine. And this is something that came up to me because one of my colleagues in my master's in ethnobotany, um, he did his master's thesis research on um, the verification of Chinese medicines. Because what happens in Chinese medicine is you have this uh, really antiquitous plant that isn't really grown anymore because the modern biosphere has changed so much that then you see it in the Chinese medicine text and it's prescribed that you should have it for this ailment. And so the Chinese medicine doctor says, okay, I'm gonna take that plant, but they don't have it there. So they take one that smells like it or looks like it, but isn't the same plant. Or maybe it's an expensive plant that someone along the supply chain is trying to make money and they replace it with a cheaper plant. That happens a lot with ginseng. And so the result of this is like where my friend did his 
a master's thesis in London, looking at Chinese medicine doctors there, he saw that most of them are using plants that aren't the real plants. And then, so this comes back to my theme of this year, which is what are we actually doing here? You know, the Chinese medicine doctors, they have good intention. It's an incredible healing so practice. From the seed to the, the doctor, it's tracking, tra tracing and tracking and verifying that it is actually what they say it is. So practically, the seed is linked to this technology somehow. Yeah. And then you can verify it. Yeah. I mean, he's just a consultant, so there's some company that is, and that's as far as I know, at least for that project. Um, but yes, and yes, there's so many applications for blockchain. And so the banking application is just, let's say, the fastest growing, obviously, because of perhaps human greed. Um, and it's the easiest to understand fintech, where there is no more bank, there is no more centralized authority of the bank that decides and does the exchanges and everything like that. It's completely peer to peer. It is a peer to peer economy. So um, I, it's not, it wasn't running on the blockchain, but it was an example of decentralization and peer to peer economy was Napster. If you remember almost 20 years ago, Napster file sharing. You know, we were onto something and then the governments and the music industry and everything, everyone freaked out because they wanted to hold their power. And so the movement of decentralization is a movement of ultimate empowerment where people are getting back their power to self-govern and be radically self-reliant. And like that, like that is where I came from because in university, in undergrad, I was a political economist before all of this health and yoga stuff, right? Wanting to become a diplomat. And then I left it all because I inherently disagreed with the nation state capital system that exists. And I didn't see any version of working in it that wasn't reporting it or serving it further. And so being in health and yoga, that was my way out of the nation state capital system. It's really interesting that you always look for way now. <laughs> it's, it's a theme. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I mean, yeah, and there's, there's definitely a fine line of, um, because uh, I mean people I, like I've been traveling for 13 years people are always like Andy what are you running away from um, and I've asked myself I'm not running away way out it's like different so it's not slightly different no it's, it's, I think this is like the ways we see yeah I mean I'd be interested to process that, process that with you um, later for sure um, for me it's a discovery it's it's the quest for truth yes. and it's it's the urge it's the impetus it's the where are we going what are we doing you know it's like this lifetime i'm not meant to be a nun i'm not meant to be a monk sitting in a cave like i can tell you all those things because the way out is the way in you know so the duality is something that i kind of dance between all the time um yeah so Last year, Burning Man, in the decentralization dome, I was hearing all these people speak, and it was just, again, this, like, yes, 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 yes. And so I started getting more and more into this decentralized, uh, decentralization revolution movement. And um, my friend Gary has been, like, a huge inspirator on that path. And um, it's, it's almost parallel to the AI development. 
because blockchain technology and artificial intelligence are these two separate different technologies that can work together and do work together that will be the next new era that will like from I mean you remember you guys grew up without internet right and so like internet shifted the game blockchain and AI are about to shift the game again and things are just getting exponentially different so in working in this sphere I knew that I wanted to build this AI to offload uh, everything and I didn't know how I was going to do it. My preference would be to not build anything, uh, but rather to go to some Korean company or something who already has something in existence and just offload what I have onto them and allow them to do it. And it's funny because now I have a mentor, um, a half Navajo, half Mexican American living in South Korea, working on emotional intelligence, artificial intelligence, AEI, artificial emotional intelligence. He was like, I met him in Amsterdam. It was the most perfect thing. Um, and he's living in Seoul of all places, which I love. When I went to Seoul, I was like, oh my God. And I had ignored it for so many years living in East Asia. of like, oh yeah, that's just Korea, like to Seoul, whatever. I never really thought about it. And when I went there, it was this reckoning of, oh my God, what these people have done here in, the, in 25 years. The change that they've made and what they've built and the openness of the society it's incredible and I do think that that's the future and so all what of these things what have you seen we're seeing the openness of the society and how, how what, what have you witnessed yeah just the fact that Korean society isn't overbearing in a way like um, there's a subcurrent of judgment that uh, you could say exists in Japan or even in Taiwan, which is the place I used to live, of, of social norms. And the social norms are so strong that there's not room for innovation as much. And in Korea, I see that there's much less social norms because it is really a newly birthed society. So there's that quality of allowance of everything to come. So like, there's so much more that I could paint in there, but that's what I would say to start. But. Um, all of these things happening at once. When I landed back in India, I had the experience at the International Yoga Festival of witnessing the sellout and having it break my heart and, and asking again, what are we actually doing here? Is it the form or is it the function? Or is it like, what is it? Is it just us sitting here and the practice of saying OM itself is gonna make us enlightened? Or do we get enlightened and OM just reminds us of that enlightenment? You know, like it's the, it's the gradient. It's all over the place these days. and. Um, I left then and landed back in Bombay with one of my best friends who I've been consulting for his advising for his holistic outpatient clinic in Mumbai, you know Harsh. Yeah. And um, Harsh was planning fasting retreats for me there. And I was like, I stepped away from my career. This is not what I want to be doing. Why, why are we doing this? And then he was like, well, what do you want to do? And so I started telling about him about AI and all of this, and he, on one level, I'm pretty sure just wants to make all my dreams come true, but on another level also has was developing so much tech on his own and our, our ideals and our vision and how we want to spread holistic health to the world are so aligned that he was like, let's do it, let's do it. And he comes from a business background, so it was perfect for me to jump in and be like, okay, like that's all you and all of the design and whatever will be me and so we did it we've had quite i mean with any startup we've had quite a learning curve and um 
hiring and firing and getting things done and not getting things done and Indian programmers and frustration with um, people just not doing things by a due date and things not getting done and all of this. And so it's been definitely a learning curve this year. And then this summer, as I'm getting into the AI blockchain world uh, from that AI conference in Amsterdam to at the, in June to um, uh, the two conferences that I did this summer, um, which were more like crypto consciousness, I realized that now my role is taking consciousness into this futurist sphere, into the people who are designing the future through blockchain and also through AI and also through cryptocurrency, for example, like the people who have a lot of money now and who have gotten very wealthy in a very little period of time. And that my job is to kind of poke at them to reflect them back to themselves and to make them do the inner work so that they can do the outer work so much more powerfully because whatever we're designing, whether it's AI or whether it's the future of society, has to come from consciousness. Is, well, it's going to be a reflection of how conscious the individual designer is. And so that feels hugely fulfilling that I can come from working in the consciousness sphere to working with consciousness in the blockchain AI futurist sphere. And so all of that, you asked me where I am today. Well, I'm like this week where I am is I'm releasing that book. I'm putting up a Kickstarter and it's a hugely challenging thing to my ego because I keep hearing myself say my book, right? And I'm like, no, like this isn't my book. And the way in which I'm presenting it to people now, which I've learned after the past three days of quote unquote marketing it, because I don't, I'm really resistant to selling things, is that this is not only one of the best investments, if not the best investment someone could ever make in themselves, but it's also, it's, it's putting your money towards a radically different future. And the analogy that I've been giving for the past 24 hours is that humanity is on a train and that train is headed towards disease and disenfranchisement and early death. And we see that, that's what my master's study was about, the nutrition transition, looking at the escalating rates of non-communicable disease, lifestyle related disease, absolutely exponentially growing. And like, that's only going to get worse and faster. And that's why we're making the AI as well, because then people are gonna wake up and say, oh, I need to change something. And then millions of people will be able to all of a sudden come back to hydration and elimination and restoration and respiration by foundations of health. You know, it's simple. And so because of that epidemiological travesty of this train track headed towards disease, what I'm saying to people is, if you want to help me derail that train and have it go somewhere else, pre-order this book now. Pre-order six of these books now. And I'm giving away tons of stuff. Like someone orders five books or something and they get to join my online fast for the same price that they would have paid. They just get the books extra. And it's like, it's my way. It's like, okay, okay, I see now. I see now. Yes, the AI and offloading myself onto the AI, but also the, the virtue of a book the irreplaceability of having a complete volume with all of the ideas that you want to present right there at once because I have sound bites all over the world on tons of different media channels but to have the entirety of something yeah. a la modern fasting neo-natural hygiene 
You know, it's like one of my mentors just said to me the other day, yeah, the world needs a new Herbert Shelton, Andy, and I think it could be you. And that was like, oh, fuck, yes, because what I've done is taken the natural hygiene practice, the water fasting practice from 100 years ago, and applied it to modern reality and the modern human through my thousands of clients. Like, they have been my teachers in this. And so to finally publish that, finally publish that, like, that is, that's where I am now on one standpoint. And then the second is I'm, I've been given the entire speaker series that engulfed me last year at Burning Man. I was just a wanderby, passerby, you know, walking into this dome where I hear people talking about these amazing decentralization ideas and that's given so much to me in the past year. And now I'm organizing the entire speaker series to give so much to everyone else. So it's, it's more than a hundred hours of content. We have like 60 or more presenters and it's just incredible um to be able to to recycle inspiration in that way and so that's where i am does that answer your question yeah definitely okay thank you yeah thank you thanks for joining us for another episode of the vitality podcast please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now. Now.